Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, guess that this must be the place. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. Hey, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Do you ever feel like your home might be intellectually inferior? <laughs> they're, they're, yes. This past year I have... I have used, well, 2014, I used uh, several uh, colorful metaphors to ex- describe certain aspects of my home as uh, dumb stuff was happening. I mean, you know, it's it's things break down and don't repair themselves. Doors don't open for you. Right. Uh, your closet doesn't give you what you want to wear in the morning. You have to go looking for it. Wagers yeah. everything on Final Jeopardy and then forgets to form it in the question. Right, right. right. Yeah, my my biggest pet peeve is that when I walk through the door, Gallivant is not automatically playing on my TV. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's, I don't get it. You may guess from that awkward introduction that today we're <laughs> going to talk about smart homes. And the rest of it is going to be smooth sailing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jonathan. Yeah. Did you recently go to CES? I did recently go to CES. The Consumer Electronics Show. Although now Are you I... sure that S doesn't stand for circus spelled wrong? <laughs> well, well, it doesn't stand for anything Yeah, now. these days it's just CES. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, it used to be Consumer Electronics Show, but now it's just CES. Sort of like, they, you know, they've, they've, they've decided to go super celeb on us. It's like KFC. It's like these letters yeah. could stand for anything. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, at CES, there were a lot of big themes that came out that year. Lots of stuff that, you know, various uh, companies were really focusing on. And one of the biggest was smart home technology. And this is something that we've seen at CES year after year. But this year was kind of like critical mass, I would say. You know, this was where I suddenly saw more examples of it. In fact, there was an entire section of the show floor set aside just for uh, smart homes. And uh, in fact, one one exhibitor had built out a booth that was a home and you walked through it wow. and saw uh-huh. the saw how the technology worked within the context of a home, uh, but we wanted to talk kind of uh, all about 
smart homes and sort of where the idea came from and where it's going and some of the, the pros and cons of it. But to begin with, I just wanted to talk a little bit about where where this whole automation and smart home technology got its start. Uh, sure, because it's not actually a new idea. No, no. So, so you're going to take us back to smart caves. <laughs> not quite that far. Uh, I'm going to go to the early 20th century. Okay. And that was when we started seeing uh, uh, electronic and mechanical appliances first hit the market for the general consumer. Now, there were earlier examples in the 19th century, sort of the predecessors for mm-hmm. the technology we depend upon, but we really saw them mature in the early 1900s. So this is stuff like, you know, washers and dryers and dishwashers and, uh, you know, eventually other things like toasters that wouldn't burn your house down and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So this was all about saving uh, effort. Uh, labor, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it actually made a huge impact. We did a series of episodes on, on washing machines and dryers in, uh, in tech stuff yeah. back when I was on the show. And it's, it's, pretty, it's actually pretty interesting stuff, yeah, yeah. right? And uh, really interesting to see. I mean, there's a whole political kind of controversial part of the, the washing machine, for example, people who should have gotten credit and didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also just the, the overall story of how can we create labor-saving devices so that people can maximize their time and not spend it all doing back-breaking labor right, that, right. that like, could be handled automatically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was sort of the, the 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 germ of the idea, right? But it wasn't until the 1960s that we start seeing kind of a, a giant leap forward on this. Now, we had seen technology start to take on more and more automated style roles like uh, the original washing machines you actually had to monitor them you had to change them turn them on and turn them off manually uh, they didn't have automatic shutoffs or timers or things like that that developed throughout the decades but in the 1960s we go kind of a a, a jump ahead i would say with the Echo 4, which was a home automation system it was also known as the electronic computing home operator it was made out of surplus electronic parts, and it was housed in a tall walnut cabinet. <laughs> and um, it was... Uh, uh, I miss the days of putting electronics in wood casing. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the old televisions as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. So well, this thing could supposedly handle finances, the home finances. Uh, it could compute shopping lists. So if you said you wanted to make a certain thing and you told it what ingredients you had, it could tell you which ones you were missing and therefore you needed to go and get them. Mm. Um, it could also control the thermostat. It could predict the weather and even turn appliances on and off. It was designed by Jim Sutherland, who was an employee at Westinghouse, and he built it for himself. I got to say, I'm skeptical about how good this thing was at those tasks you just listed. Well, you just listed. It, it, and it never... It was never put into any kind of production. Like this was literally his yeah, his home project. Probably telling right. that it didn't go into production. I uh, mean, also com- computer technology at the time being what it was. It- I'd like to think of it as operating under the same sort of rules as the Pee Wee Herman Rube Goldberg device at the beginning of Pee Wee's Big Adventure mm-hmm. to feed his dog. You know that kind of thing. Um, there's also uh, the kitchen computer which was another device that was meant to automate the home. This one came out the year after Echo 4 was sort of uh, um, displayed in in like a Popular Mechanics article. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this one came from Honeywell, and it could store recipes and tell you what sort of meals you could cook based upon the ingredients you had available. So if you said, like, I've got these five ingredients, what can I make with this? And it could give you a list of different recipes to try. Mm -hmm. Uh, all of that convenience could be yours for the low, low price of $10,600 Oof. in 19, <laughs> mid-1960s money. Oof. That's like the cost of a couple houses at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hey, you never have to worry about what to make for dinner because you just tell it, like, I got a bottle of ketchup, some jolt cola, and some peanuts. Nice. What can I whip up? <laughs> Here's a recipe for lasagna. Um <laughs> So by the 1980s, home automation was becoming more of a reality, although in these cases, it was a lot of uh, contractor work. So if you wanted to have a system put in, you had to go out, hire a contractor, they would come in. And usually the various elements of your home automation would actually rely on infrared sensors and transmitters. So the same sort of technology that most remote controls rely on today. Mm-hmm. You, know, you may not realize this, but in the 1970s, remote controls were mostly, well, at least some were using sonic 
uh, signals. No way. Yeah, where you would press a button and have a little piece of metal inside the remote control. And when it flexed, it would give off ultrasonic frequencies and the television would respond to it, which is why if you dropped your change and there was a hard floor, uh-huh. you could accidentally change the channel. Or if you played with a slinky near the TV, you could affect mm-hmm. it. But eventually, That's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I actually had one of those TVs when I was a kid. Wow! And I could I could have a slinky and play with it, and things would happen on the TV. And I thought, I, I guess I should be glad that Poltergeist had not come out yet. So, <laughs> at any rate, the uh, the infrared sensor technology began to come down in price, and that meant we could incorporate in more and more stuff. But this meant that you had a remote control to handle things, right? It wasn't truly automated in the sense that we think of today. It was just you were you had a step removed. You didn't have to go and turn on a switch or plug something in. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, it was also a niche market. It was pretty expensive because usually you had to have, like I said, a contractor come in and install this stuff. It wasn't plug and play. Uh, so it really limited the number of people who could actually do this. You know, I kept on hearing about home automation, but it was very much a bleeding edge adopter kind of thing at that point. So by the late 1990s, that's when we first started seeing appliances that could connect into a computer network, not just have some sort of sensor on it that would allow it to operate when you use a remote control, but something that could uh, interact with a network through Wi-Fi or a wired connection. So this is when we first start seeing things like uh, networked refrigerators or networked washers hmm. or networked dryers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't really that good. They didn't do a lot of things that would have necessitated them to be connected when they were first coming out. Mm-hmm. It was really a novelty. I remember the first time I saw one, I looked at it and I thought, oh, that's really cool. Um, why would you <laughs> do that? Like, what? what's the benefit? And, like, the benefits yeah. were pretty tenuous. Yeah. Like, you could, uh, you could write yourself a program in C to control your washer. It was, you know, it involved a lot of, like, like the refrigerator is the example I always think of. It, it involved a lot of work on the part of the consumer for it to have any meaningful impacts. Things like logging the stuff that's going into your refrigerator oh, mm-hmm. so that way when you are at work and you're thinking, oh, I would like to make such and such, do I have all the things I need? But it would mean that you were the one who had to actually maintain essentially like a database of inventory, which does not sound appealing to me. That no, just seems like a no. different type of labor that I have to do. Yeah, yeah. Why would that even be connected to the fridge? You could just keep a spreadsheet on your computer. Yeah. Good. Good point. Or An guess, excellent point. I mean, yeah. At the point that you're logging something in Excel anyway, like you don't really need to have your fridge send you a fax telling you to get more eggs. Right. It's, unless you're I'm in not... Back to the Future 2, in which case all communication is done it's through done facts. By fax. Yeah. We've <laughs> established that done by multiple duplicates so in 2000 <laughs> by the end of 2015 your fridge will be faxing you repeatedly throughout yeah. the day through all of your rooms in your house mm-hmm. all of which have their own fax including your closets including your closets um <laughs> so all caps you've got food poisoning <laughs> <laughs> well that explains the vomiting so the 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 way that automation has changed a lot over the last couple of years is that again technology has continued to get less expensive like the the basic sensors the basic uh connectors that allow us to network things together have all come come down in price uh, which means that there are a lot more consumer level options right mm-hmm. and, yeah and I think we're also just now getting to the point where some of these applications mm-hmm. might actually be useful. Like they really do increase your convenience in certain cases. Right. And we've got we've got a lot of development, not just in the hardware side, but the software side, which mm-hmm. is where a lot of that functionality is coming from. It's not, you know, the, the hardware is not demonstrably that different from the earlier generations. It's not like a smart refrigerator is that different from a regular refrigerator. Mm-hmm. But the apps that are designed around it to allow you to leverage that technology have matured over the last couple of years. And I think that's why smart home technology is starting to hit it big because we our, our, our user interface has improved to the point where now people can say, oh, I get it now. Now it makes sense. Yeah. I would say also that we have a lot of unrealized capacity now. I mean, we're at a stage technologically where you could have a fridge that actually could log everything you put in it uh, without you having to intervene. But it would require stuff that we don't do, like, say, putting RFID tags on all of our food products or something Mm -hmm. like that. You Um, could maybe have some sort of scanner 
like yeah. a, you yeah, know, you, essentially you could attach a, a scanner to the to the front of right. a fridge that would read a UPC code or something right. like that. Yeah. But so I'd say we are closer to sort of the 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 fantasy of the smart home than sure. we were before, even Absolutely. if even if in a lot of cases it's not actually realized we right. could do it now. Yeah, and uh, there are several examples I thought I would give. Actually, I'm just going to do three because obviously, if if we wanted to, we could have an episode. We could go on all day. Yeah, yeah there there are hundreds of products on the market that fall into home automation and smart home technology. But just to kind of give you a very brief, broad overview of some of the options, one is sort of the plug and play approach, which is where instead of you going in and replacing a specific system like the lighting or the security of your home, you have these these modules that essentially plug into wall sockets. That's what where they get their power. They connect to your network and then you plug stuff into them. And that allows you to have remote access to the power that goes to that appliance. So uh, Belkin has the Wemo switch plus motion, which is a plug and play automation gadget that does exactly that. Right. You, you plug this thing into the wall. You plug your app, your appliance into the, 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 the sensor. You use a smartphone app to access it so you can turn it on and off at will. Now, clearly this only works if whatever gadget is plugged into the Wemo has a permanent on feature, mm -hmm. right? So if you are talking about something like a lamp, that's very easy. You turn the lamp to the on position. Uh, when you activate the, the Wemo, then the lamp's going to come on. When you turn it off remotely, the lamp goes off. Other devices, obviously, they have more input than that. You know, you need to do something more than just turn it on, and th this will not help you with that. So if you plug your toaster into one of these things, it's not going to push the lever down so that you get toast. It'll, right. it'll provide power to it, but it won't. It won't actually activate the toaster. Toaster <laughs> oven, possibly. Toaster oven, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I was just thinking. Probably don't want to remotely activate that when you're <laughs> when you're not home. I'm going but... to give that a no. But maybe Crock-Pot, you know, something like that where you're like, oh, I just want to have this thing's going to take four hours to cook. It's going to be on a certain level of heat that I feel comfortable with. I don't want to have to come home to start it. I don't want it to just be on warm for all day. So mm -hmm. at some point in the day, I'm going to go onto my smartphone app and turn my Crock-Pot on. Now I'm hungry. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Internet. Um Another example is the Nest thermostat, the learning thermostat. We've talked about this on, I think we've talked about on forward thinking. I know I've talked about it on tech stuff. Um, this is the thermostat that came from a couple of engineers who used to work at Apple, and mm -hmm. then they, they developed this smart thermostat. Mm -hmm. uh, the it's a place for birds to live. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a smart thermostat and home for birds. Right. That's why it's called Nest. That's not what Nest means. No, no. no. In this case, the the Nest is is your is your little nest at home. Oh. You know, and you mm -hmm. want you want your nest to be comfy. So the thermostat it has a lot of features that are very easy to explain to people, like the fact that you can remotely change the temperature on your thermostat no matter where you happen to be. You use the app, you connect to the internet. You change it. It your your Nest is uh, is hooked into your home Wi-Fi system. It gets the the command, changes it, and that way your your house will the climate control will kick in, whether it's heat or air conditioning or whatever. So this is useful, obviously, if you want to be able to adjust the temperature to maximize your eco friendliness and not run it when no one's home. But the thing is, the Nest also has a microprocessor and an algorithm that allows it to learn your behaviors and do this on its own so that you don't have to send it the commands, right? You don't have to say, uh, all right, I'm at the office now. Let's turn the heat off or I'm coming home. Turn on the air conditioning because it's really hot outside. So that way, when I get home in half an hour, it'll be nice and cool in my house. The Nest thermostatics itself starts to learn what your routine is and anticipates it ahead of time and and makes those changes for uh -huh. you, which is pretty awesome. And that's really what we're getting at with the smart. It's not just the connectivity, but the fact that it can start to anticipate what you want. Then we have uh, the Philips Hue light bulbs. Have you guys seen these? Yeah, no. yeah. Oh, I love the Philips. I almost bought some. They're a little more dim than I would prefer. I would like them to be a bit brighter, but they are beautiful and they can change different colors. They have LED in them. Uh, you can use a smartphone app to adjust it so you can change like whatever. Like if you want, hey, you know what? 
my living room is going to have neon green light for tonight. I could do that. Or mm-hmm. I can be like, let's go purple. I could do that. Yeah. But on top of that, cool. <laughs> there's the smartphone. Have you seen the smartphone app, uh, Lauren? I have not. No. Okay. They have a smartphone app where okay. it listens to the TV shows you watch. And for certain TV shows, depending upon what's going on on the screen, it will match the lighting in your room to match the mood on screen. What? It gives you TV mood lighting? Yeah, exactly. Well, so like the detectives are going into a dark room, your lights come down. The there's there's like a photographer flashing pictures. Your your lights are flashing at, in sync with the TV program. I don't think I want that. It sounds horrible, but I'd give uh, it a try. I want yeah, it. I yeah, want I it, mean, I'm interested. I I'm, want it in all my all my rooms, and I want speakers going to all my rooms. <laughs> And I want the app in all my rooms so that my house is just constantly flashing like and I want to just watch The Omen over and over. <laughs> That's all I it's want. Forever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I wonder if it responds to the sound of lightning strikes. It's it's oh, the yeah. the way it was designed. I can't remember which shows in particular it's it's matched up to. It's only a couple. Uh, but it because obviously, the you know, in order to pull this off. You already have to know what happens in the show right. to match the lighting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not a sound cue that it's that it's listening for. Right. It's a it's a digital programmed sound cue. I'm sure. Yeah, just wait, waiting for Homer to say, "Sure is dark in here," and then like all the lights <laughs> come off, go off, and you're like, "Huh? If I could just do a really good Homer voice, I could freak people out." So yeah, but that's just that's just three yeah. products on the market. There right. are so many of yeah, them. Yeah, dozens and dozens, and they they cover everything. We're like, they're covering. You know, I just talked about some very simple systems, but things like you could you could have smart locks on your doors so that you could use a code or a Bluetooth uh, device where your lock uh, unlocks automatically when that device gets within range. Or you could have a security system like video surveillance. That That's a very popular one that you could have as mm-hmm. part of your smart home. I'd imagine a very good application of something like a smart lock would be being able to let somebody into your house remotely without sure. you being there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, yeah. there are quite a few versions I've seen. Some of them allow for you to give a, a like a four-digit code to somebody that only works within a span of time. Mm-hmm. So let's say there's... Like a temporary pin. Yeah, exactly. So like you have a dog walker, let's say, mm-hmm. and the dog walker says, okay, I'm going to be at your place between 12 and 2. You could say, all right, I'm going to be safe. I'm going to go from 1130 to 230. This pin will give you access to my house. And then after 230, it no longer works. And before 1130, it doesn't work. Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, in other cases, you could just do it remotely yourself. So yeah, let's... like they could call you when they get to your doorstep and, and yeah, and you could just press the like unlock that door button on yep. your phone and mm-hmm. let them in. And, uh, even at the, at CES, we even saw one that was a doggy door. Little, uh, a smart home doggy door where you could you could allow the doggy door to swing free so the dog can go outside. And when the dog mm-hmm. comes back in, you can lock it in place again. And, you know, that sort of stuff, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you, you can see where the convenience comes in. You can see where uh, some of the benefits are to, to kind of segue into benefits. That remote access is a big one, obviously. Right. The ability to control the systems of your house wherever mm-hmm. you happen to be. Uh, that could be for lots of reasons. It could be that, again, you're trying to save money. So you don't want to spend, you know, you don't want to you don't want to be uh, consuming electricity when you don't need it. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be that you're doing it for security. So you might be going out of town for a few days, but you want your lights to come on as if someone's home so that you don't get the indication that, hey, there's an empty house here, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, a lot of different reasons why you would want remote access. And the idea of algorithms that could learn your behavior and anticipate it. That's really, really intriguing. Oh, yeah, that's that's real sexy. I mean, that's kind of the just just making things easier again, like like making things easier for you so that you can devote your brain power to whatever else you want. Exactly. To to. Yeah. I said that you could put it toward enlightened pursuits like watching The Bachelor. <laughs> I was trying to come up with the, the 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 show I would least likely watch, and that one was the first that I thought of. Um, but at any rate, yeah, it's it's exactly that idea of being able to to save labor, save effort, to have kind of an effortless existence in your home as much as possible, and that the mundane things get taken care of. So if we look at the ideal smart home, and we go forward ten years, uh, and this might even be a conservative. 
vision of the smart home of the future. I imagine this scenario. You come home, you walk toward the front door, which automatically unlocks for you. Uh, it might be that it just recognizes who you are through some sort of facial recognition, or maybe it's because of the way you walk, or maybe even your heartbeat, depending upon how it's detecting this sort of stuff. It could be communicating with electronics that you have on your person, and mm -hmm. that might be the handshake. Um, anyway, it unlocks immediately, so you don't have any need for keys. You don't have to fumble for anything. You just you open the door, you close it, it locks behind you. You're good to go. Uh, then you walk in. The day, the the lights in your house adjust for the level of brightness of the the time of day, so that it's not too bright if it's in the middle of the day. There's a lot of natural light, or maybe it's at night and it's a little brighter, so you can see around your their area as you walk around. Um, music matching your mood comes on. Maybe it even is aware of what your schedule was like, because if you happen to have an online schedule, it might say, oh, look at that. Look at all the meetings Jonathan had. He's probably out of his mind with stress and anxiety. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let's play so, some Benny Hill theme. Exactly. Yakety sax. <laughs> just on a loop. And, uh, you know, let's let's turn all the carpets into treadmills and he never actually gets anywhere. <laughs> It'll be fun. Uh, maybe you're uh, beyond that. Maybe your kitchen has already started to give you suggestions on what meals you could create based upon the stuff you have at hand and saying, um, you know, you're you're totally like stressing out. Here's a comfort food recipe. Or maybe it's, um, you know, I, I see that you posted on Facebook that you want to lose weight. Here's a low calorie wet recipe. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could get either awesome or creepy invasive, depending upon your perspective. Um, I sometimes I, I go between the two. <laughs> I go, like that would be kind of <laughs> creepy. <Ew>. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe your entertainment system pops on as soon as you enter the living room and goes straight to your favorite show or maybe gives you a selection of things to view, things that it knows that you'd be interested in and gives you the option of like, well, I, I want to see the one that's in the middle row on the top. That kind of stuff. Uh, the window shades could be uh, adjusting themselves for whatever time of day or whatever natural light is coming in. For example, I've got a west-facing wall for my living room. Uh, if I were coming in to watch movies, then I would want those shades to come down to block that light mm -hmm. from creating glare. It could do all of that sort of stuff automatically. The temperature is exactly how you like it. Uh, so, I mean, this is the sort of stuff that you can imagine the smart home of the future having. And it's really not that far away. I say 10 years, but this is stuff that it would take a little finagling, but you could do most of it right now. It might not be as seamless or work as easily as you would hope. Huh, sure. But it's, it's and it, possible. And it, right, right. And it might not, I mean, it might take significantly longer, in fact, than 10 years for, for this to be a common occurrence in sure. anyone's home. Yeah, because th this is stuff where people of a certain uh, income level would be able to make that kind of investment. I mean, mm -hmm. it has become significantly less expensive than it was when you had to have a contractor come in and install all this. And a lot of the technology we're seeing today is designed to essentially plug into the stuff we already have, like those Hue light bulbs just screw into regular Lamps. light sockets. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to have a special one. All the technology is built into the bulb itself. You know, somehow I imagine that this kind of thing would become more common in new homes than as right. upgrades Definitely. for old homes. Yeah. I think it all depends on the person as well. Like my home is, is relatively new, but I could see myself making, in fact, I have, I've got internet connected lights in my living room so I can turn the lights on in my house right now or turn them off or dim them. I like to do that when my wife is at home and I'm not and I make her think that it's haunted. Uh, I almost always get a text immediately <laughs> afterwards saying, knock it off. <laughs> yeah, She's like, I know it's you. <laughs> and it, it always is. But yeah, I can see this definitely being something that gets built into newer homes. And because even even with the ease of installation, it's still a level of investment and, and both money and in time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, if you look at the way that smart options have been integrated into cars, for example. Sure. Um, I've, I've got a I've got a car from 2002 and um, it's got a CD player and a tape deck. Yeah. Uh, and nice. <laughs> and I, mean, I can play MP3 players by putting a special connecty tape in the tape deck and running a line 
Well, and there, there I love that game. Phone. I used to play that game. But uh, but but you know, um, so, so there are ways of getting technology into <laughs> even even my older car. Sure. Uh, but but it's a lot easier if it's just built into the right, dashboard right. console. Right, right. Going going and getting an aftermarket right. you know system is an option, mm-hmm. but that is a that's a big investment, and it requires that you take your. You're not going to be make. I, I would never make that conversion myself. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't know the first thing about installing a new entertainment system into my vehicle. So, uh, you know, I would have to have other people do that. And, you know, that, I, I actually think that a lot of the smart home stuff is significantly easier than the car. Certainly, certainly. But, but if you're talking about everything, whew, I mean, that's a lot of work, right? That's there's not like the one stop shop where you just turn your whole home into an automated super house. Right. So so that's actually kind of kind of a drawback really is, yeah. is the kind of rate of potential adoption for this technology. What are some others? Yeah, I think it's important to explore some of the drawbacks because anytime you have a new uh, a new sort of genre of technology to sure. coming into our lives, there's going to be a lot of kinks to work out of it. Yeah. Yeah, and there are, admittedly there are a ton with yeah. smart health technology, and it would be irresponsible of us to suggest otherwise. There are quite a few things we could talk about. One is uh, it's fr- a frustration for consumers. It's the whole locked-in ecosystem. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you're going to have your music system communicating with your television, then do you need to have a music system and a television created by the same company? Right. Or if you have a smart washer and a smart dryer, do they have to both be of the same brand? Uh, and even maybe even models that were produced very close to one. Time, yeah, sure. because t- as technology improves, sometimes it's not as backwards compatible as you would like it to be. And uh, or if you want your refrigerator and stove to work together. And I've seen like I've seen full systems where there's this full integration between multiple uh, appliances and appliances are big ticket items. I mean, these are expensive. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Right. And most of us uh, and I think it's fair to say most of us in this room, myself included, are not necessarily the type who are ready to go out and buy a pair or more major appliances at the same time. Uh yeah, no. Not I'm, not this week anyway. No. Who knows what next week will bring. Yeah, yeah, that's another reason we might be seeing this more often in new homes or right. in major like whole room <clears throat> renovations. Right. Yeah. Right, because because it, it, that financial investment is significant. Mm-hmm. And if you are locked into an ecosystem, that's a problem because most most consumers I would think like to have some options, right? They don't want to end up saying, well, uh, I love this washer and I really like this other dryer, but there's no point in getting the two because they can't communicate with each other because they're mm-hmm. made by different manufacturers and they, they speak different languages. And that's a real problem with home connected homes. There are a lot of systems that are dependent upon one another and they have to speak the common language. And that means you're locked into a specific manufacturer, whether you like it or not. Oh, sure. And I mean, also just for controlling them, like imagine if you've got, if every appliance in your home is a smart appliance and you have, uh, I don't know, 25 apps yes. that you have to use to manage every single one of them. Right. Like my lights I was talking about, that's mm-hmm. a specific app on my phone, right? right? So mm-hmm. if I got one for my locks, that would be a separate app. And if I got a, if I got a, a security system with cameras, that would be another app. And if I got, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you eventually you get to a point where you have, I have a page on my smartphone that's just all the apps that handle my my house. And that alone is frustrating. On top of that, I'd say we can't always count on these apps being incredibly user friendly and frustration free. Like, uh, what if half of those apps are constantly like, do you want to install this proprietary toolbar and like giving you ads for things? Sure, sure. And and, and I mean, and they can be, I mean, software gets buggy. Um, Mm -hmm. Apps are frequently kind of buggy and need continual updates. Uh, And, you know, some, there's definitely some devices or, or some apps that work better on one platform or another. So you might have some devices that work better or only work with one platform or another. Like if you're an Apple user, you might not be able to use that Samsung TV. Yeah, that would get like incredibly frustrating. Could you just imagine telling people like this house, my house, it's amazing if I were an Apple user. But because (laughs) I have Android, it it, it's pretty much a standard. I got to do everything by hand anyway. It's a dumb house. It's a 
stupid house. But the uh, the you know that that's a great point. Metal it, rod house. It's, Sorry, it's really possible that the appliances like you you could get hardware that you think is amazing, but the apps are terrible, or vice versa. You could get an app that has a great user interface. It's really well designed. It's smooth, but the actual appliance isn't that great. And these are all issues. This is why we want to see lots more options in mm-hmm. our our when we're making our choices for these sort of things. Oh, yeah, that that is definitely. I mean, uh, as we have discussed on the show before, the future is probably not going to be as perfect and smooth as movies usually portray it. Um, you know, even smart homes, biggest success story so far, Nest had a recall in 2014 that affected 440,000 units of Protect, which is their uh, smoke and carbon monoxide alarm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it it the, the the thing with that, by the way, in case you're wondering what the recall was about, um, it, it didn't like explode or anything like that. Just the computer could get confused by input from the motion detector while simultaneously detecting smoke or carbon monoxide and thus fail to set off the alarm. Which is, I mean, if you've got an alarm and it's designed to alert you to sort of things, that's a that's a pretty big flaw. Especially if you're in the room and there's a carbon monoxide leak. You, right. You kind of want to know about it yeah, in no, that case. It's it's otherwise undetectable. I mean, this is, yeah, that is absolutely a, a fundamental flaw in the technology. Right. So, so I, I do think that we're going to see a lot of glitches like that in these early years and that that could, you know, possibly put a lot of consumers off. Sure. And slow the process of, of overall uh, rollout and development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a, a lot of these kind of things could affect multiple types of smart home devices, whether they're for automation or for uh, remote access and mm-hmm. connectedness. But there are some flaws with the idea of the smart home that are specifically related to the the connectedness, the remote access, the the fact that you're going to be transmitting data beyond the sort of perimeter of the house itself. Right. And I wanted to bring up one super disturbing example that I actually came across because Josh and Chuck were talking about it on one of their videos not too long ago. Speak not their names on this show. <laughs> uh, Josh and Chuck of uh, Stuff You Should Know. Who Speak not their show name on the... No, no, I love Josh and Chuck. Yes, yes of course. If you're not a fan of Stuff You Should Know, you, you should be. You totally wrong. should be, yeah. Uh, but anyway, what they were talking about was in uh, April 2014... And there was this story came out. So what I found was there was a Cincinnati area Fox affiliate that that reported on this. Somebody hacked a baby monitor. Oh, what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Supposedly, there was a woman in a house in the in this area of Ohio, and she woke up in the middle of the night because she heard a man's voice in her baby's room. It turned out her baby monitor camera was moving without her moving it. And someone was yelling at the baby through the intercom, yelling, wake up, baby. That's not cool at all. No. Nope. Uh, And then the father entered the room and apparently the camera turned to him and whoever was on the other end yelled some very unpleasant, unkind things. Uh, It was reported that the camera they used was a Foscam wireless IP camera. And this is a camera that, of course, you can get remote access to because it, it's designed to be able to be accessed through an app. So sure. if one of the parents is, say, out at the store or something and they want to they want to check in on the baby through their phone, they can do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On one hand, that seems like a really good, convenient thing to be able to do. Yeah. Well, on the other hand, if you don't have all the proper security measures in place, this can allow this kind of behavior. Well, yeah, if you have any system where there's going to be two-way communication, then that means that while you have the access to get in and have have this remote uh, ability to to actually access your your home, if security is not well designed or well implemented, uh, then so could someone else. I mean, that's the idea: is that if if you are able to uh, to make this connection, then other people who are able to breach that security can do the same thing. Yeah, exactly right. So this uh, original article, this Fox 19 article from Cincinnati area, they cited this so-called solutions expert. I don't know quite what that means, but <laughs> okay, uh, named Dave Hatter. And, and they said that he explained that you've got to change the password on these things and you've got to keep the, the updates relevant. But the systems aren't going to necessarily take care of you. Yeah. Like the, this camera, 
it apparently required a firmware update to patch a known security flaw, but the camera doesn't do that automatically. You've got to like go to their website and download it. And, yeah, that's and a, if you don't do that, then you have this major security vulnerability. That, that's yeah, a flaw yeah. that I think could have easily been solved by a push notification. But I mean, uh, sure. But I mean, you know, maybe they weren't. I don't know. Um, and also, I mean, I don't know about their Wi-Fi status, like whether they had a good password on their Wi-Fi. Yeah, because yeah. because like Wi-Fi routers, you know, they they almost come always come with the login is admin and the password is password. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't change that. Yeah, which yeah. is we'll talk more about that in a second. Well, it actually gets worse because there was a Newsweek article from November 2014 that pointed out how a Russian website uh, was recently displaying video from people's in-home internet-connected devices, including CCTV, webcams, and baby monitors. And this included more than 4,000 homes and businesses in the United States, 2,000 in France, and 500 in the United Kingdom. And again, this was chalked up to unprotected devices this, so wow. like this is why this is why matt frederick of stuff they don't want you to know has has tape over all of his webcams well, th- yeah. this is also why you had so many people up in arms when microsoft said the xbox one originally was going to ship with the connect and that was that right like you had right. to have a connect and that not only that but the xbox one itself would always be on and those combinations where you have an always on device that also has a camera pointed into your space living room yeah, yeah. Or whatever yeah yeah that's that's a that a lot of people balked at that for yeah. reasonably i would say well i i've seen a lot of commenters on the internet who i don't know seem to me to be unsympathetic to the people being spied on here because they're like oh it's stupid you should know to change your password and stuff like that and i'm well, like well you should well, but you... let's not victim blame here right i mean yeah it's good to know to change your password but a lot of people are not especially tech savvy they don't deserve to be spied on because right. they're you know they don't know a whole lot about how to best protect their technology i think that's something that the people who do know what they're doing like the manufacturers of these devices should really put steps in place more effort yeah. to, to, you know, make sure that proper security is being enforced. So in other words, you develop a product so that when you first set it up, it prompts you to change the password and won't let you continue until you've done so. For that example, sort of yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know. mean, I, I don't think it's fair to say, oh, what a total nano rod won't change the password. <laughs> you know, sure, fine that their baby gets spied on. I, that's silly to me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's there. There are two sides of this. Jumping ahead a little bit, but that's okay. There's two sides of this. One is that I think there definitely needs to be consumer education where people are aware of the the possible uh, security breaches that could exist if they don't practice good security. Mm-hmm. I think that is necessary because even if you have this essential, you know, policy that that some companies adopt to. Uh, to prompt people to change their passwords. I don't know that you can mandate that. And even if you did, technically you should be changing it fairly frequently anyway, or at least Mm -hmm. regularly. So that's a lot of work on the back end. And honestly, the companies that make this stuff have a lot more pull than we consumers do. So uh, I think you have to take a two-pronged approach. You have to put the pressure on companies to say, let's, let's try and give people, set them up for success. Let's, let's make sure we design things that, that encourage good security. And maybe that encouragement includes requiring it. And then on the other side, teach people, the consumers, why this is a, an important thing so that you don't become a victim. Yeah, I agree. But one thing that I think is worth pointing out is that all these devices we were just talking about are sort of like video streaming or media streaming devices. But that's not the only way that a connected or remote access device could compromise your privacy. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be videos. No. Just pure data could compromise your privacy sure. in interesting ways you wouldn't expect. Yeah, uh, we had a little example when we chatted about this earlier about imagine that you have uh, one of these Internet connected thermostats and someone is able to access it and just see how you are heating or cooling your home throughout Mm -hmm. the year. That could be information that's used to shame you, especially if you were like a politician running on an eco-friendly campaign. That would be, you know, we we saw similar things when there was uh, uh, information about Al Gore's 
uh, uh, energy use in his home. Mm-hmm. Like that was being used to try and shame him as he was doing his, uh, inconvenient truth tours. So this is stuff that actually happens. I mean, it's, it, it that is, uh, Maybe a fairly benign example, because I don't know that many of us are going to be running on campaigns where we're really dependent upon uh, putting forth an image of being eco-friendly while secretly we're like, burn all the coal. (laughs) I don't know that that's going to be that common. But there are other examples as well. Just anything that is going to be monitoring you in any way, whether it's just to say when you're home and when you're not, obviously that could be useful information for someone if someone's you know, electronically casing your home and says, ah, because I'm able to look at these systems, I can see that this person is regularly not at home at these times of day. Yeah. That kind of stuff could be dangerous. There are other issues as well. Uh, we talked about Internet connected locks. Obviously, you want really good security on anything that's going to be a lock in your home. You don't want people to have remote access to it. And in fact, there was a uh, a, a Black Hat USA conference where some hackers demonstrated that they were able, or at least they they published a paper saying they were able to uh, access a Z-Wave-based internet-connected lock and unlock it. They were able to hack mm-hmm. into it. They didn't have the the access to it, authorized access. They got unauthorized access and were able to operate it. That being said, in that particular case, it was because the manufacturer had created a, a product that had a bug in it, a, fl- a flaw in the programming that did not incorporate the security protocol properly and, in fact, were able to uh, address that with a patch. And, and once the patch was made, the hackers could no longer access that lock. So it's not that there was a fundamental flaw in the technology. It was that the technology had been poorly implemented. Well, you need to make sure, sometimes there's just not an easy way to do this, but you need to make sure that the that it was properly implemented. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. And that is uh, absolutely the responsibility of the product designer right. and software team. Exactly, yeah. So it's one of those things where, I mean, there's a big, there's a point where you put your trust in some other company. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, some security experts have pointed out that in order to hack uh, into a, a an internet-connected lock, for example, like to be able to get access to a house, would require so much effort that there are just easier physical ways of doing the same thing. Like, oh, yeah, sure. Like drilling out a lock. I mean, I, I think that there's... <laughs> I think that there's probably a lot easier ways to to break into a home, and I really hope that we're not heading towards a future where people have incredibly intricate digital locks and large plate glass windows. Right, exactly. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) You could end up literally hacking with an axe and get through the door just as easy. And and that was something that the security expert said. It's like, well, we start to obsess over the vulnerabilities in technology that we're depending upon and we're ignoring the fact that very that that generally speaking it's a very small population that ca- that's capable of exploiting those vulnerabilities right. but there's a larger population of people who those vulnerabilities that doesn't even enter their yeah. head that's I, not an issue i could kick your door in you know i couldn't hack your smart lock yeah so <laughs> yeah. so i mean that's one of those things is that while we are bringing up some of these negatives in some cases it's kind of a moot point really it's not that big a deal but there are other things too i mean i could imagine a hacker getting access to uh, an internet connected thermostat and then cranking up the heat when you're gone i mean that could actually be a very dangerous thing let's say you've got pets and they crank the heat way up on a hot day oh, that's yeah. not good yeah yeah or, i mean you know you, even if they're just trying to like prank you by like raising your your heating your electricity bill or something right, like yeah. that yeah it could be bad for your fish yeah there's lots of stuff that could be really seriously a problem fish are delicate they are oh okay <laughs> Yeah, I believe you. Yeah, I don't have any fish. Oh, me, me neither. I just they're delicate. I used to in a butter sauce, but then I <laughs> set my heat too high and had burnt fish. No, they really, they really do. They require constant care. This is why I don't own fish. I would kill all of right. them accidentally. Yeah, Same here. So tasty. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of there. There are things to be concerned about with this kind of technology, but. Uh, that doesn't mean we need to be afraid of it. We just need to be vigilant. We need to make sure that the implementation is proper. We need to make sure we're taking the best steps that we can as consumers. We need to continue to uh, pay attention to what companies are doing as yeah. manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And as long as we're all doing our part, we can make sure we get to that amazing future where our smart homes are anticipating our every need and everything's awesome and, and relaxing. And it frees us up to watch so much of The Bachelor. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, maybe I, I mean, I got to give Supernatural a break. I gotta, sometimes, sometimes you, know, you can't. Sam, Sam and Dean need to go on their own for a while. They do. And then I need to just look at a rose <laughs> for, a, for a bit. That's all. I, I've got needs. I don't know what you're talking about. I'll tell you all about it after the podcast. At any rate, uh, this was a, an interesting topic to really kind of dive into mm-hmm. and explore, like the the positives and the negatives. And and it's something that we plan on doing a lot of in the future. You know, other other technologies that are kind of emerging tech and sort of take a critical look at them and say, uh, where are the areas where we need further development to make sure it's a technology that is going to be good for us not something that's like oh let's all adopt this and then realize ooh, that was a mistake yeah right? yeah like those 3d televisions everyone got a couple <laughs> years ago whoops uh all right well that wraps up this episode if you guys have suggestions for future episodes you always wanted to know how something in the future was going to work you should let us know send us a message our email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com you can contact us on Twitter, Google+, or Facebook. At Twitter and Google+, we are FW Thinking. Just search FW Thinking and Facebook will pop right up. Leave us a message. And we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.